welcome to Pick a Little, Talk a Little. It's a podcast where we talk about musicals, uh, whether they're good or bad or whatever the heck we're going to decide today. I, as always, am your host, Gabriella Gazelowitz, and with me today is... I'm Ben Levon. Should I uh, speak about myself? No. No, okay. But, but you should tell us what musical we're doing today. Oh, uh, we're doing Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. So in this podcast, what we generally do is take a musical and go song by song to get through it. This musical is our first operetta, which almost kind of, kind of sounds like an insult to call it an operetta. You like, should really like just a call cute it like, little opera. <laughs> I mean, it just seems insulting to actual operettas. But the songs are are discreet and distinct from one another, so we can just talk about it song by song, and this way we are really gonna get everything. So the reason I'm super excited to do this musical is because we are going to um, take our first musical by my second favorite Broadway composer whose birthday is March 22nd. Because Andrew, <laughs> the, the joke is that Andrew Lloyd Webber is exactly 18 years younger than Stephen Sondheim. Oh, is that true? Joking aside, not only is this the first Andrew Lloyd Webber musical that we've covered on the podcast, it's Yes. It's also chronologically one of the first, right? It's like his first thing, but it was like, it was like, it was like written for a middle school, right? See, I know things. I know things. So Andrew Lloyd Webber went to music school after he gave up on his other, on his childhood dream of becoming England's chief inspector of ancient monuments. Oh, dear. Right. Um, (laughs) So when Andrew Lloyd Webber was 17 years old, he received a letter from 21-year-old law student Tim Rice. This is the entire contents of the letter. Dear Andrew, I've been told you're looking for a with-it writer of lyrics for your songs, and as I've been writing pop songs for a while, and particularly enjoy writing the lyrics, I wonder if you would consider it worth your while meeting me. Tim Rice. Isn't that adorable? So Andrew Lloyd Webber started working with Tim Rice when he was a teenager. Is Tim Rice British? Yeah, they're both hella British. But anyway... So they started working together. They did a project that sort of got shelved for like 40 years. And then they did this musical. So they started this musical when Andrew Lloyd Webber was still a teenager. So just think about that. When Andrew Lloyd Webber was 20 and Tim Rice was 24, they uh, wrote a 15-minute pop cantata. And they put it on at Collet Court, which was it was an English like pop prep school in London. And literally what happened was Andrew Lloyd Webber's dad was like, hey, you guys, this is cute. I like what you guys did here. Put it on at my church, which was Westminster Central Hall. So So it was like a legit Anglican establishment. Yeah. And they brooked this. Yeah. At least it seems to be originally composed, which is more than you can say for some of his later work, which is kind of like cribbed from Puccini. So essentially it went from a middle school to a really fancy church and then a concept album and essentially every step along the way it kept adding more songs here's my general thesis is that Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice just like writing pop music and they were wannabe rock and rollers hanging out with like b-string rock and rollers in like the late 60s early 70s and they were like hey let's all like get around and record this like thing we wrote of like what if Jesus was like a 60s hippie, it's real trippy, man. And everyone's like, sure. And they got together and they recorded it on vinyl and it's cute. And then when you try moving it from that to a stage, it doesn't actually adapt as a musical. And like eventually they started writing, like thinking of a of like a stage. But when you have Joseph, like 
you get the full experience listening to the cast recording because there's not much more to it. What's your personal exposure to this musical? I went to a um, a Jewish day school, and at some point in my in my quest to be in power um, over everybody around me, I became stage manager, like the default for all of the school shows. But we did Joseph one year, and I liked it very much. This sort of harkens back to my like culturally gayer days. And I was like very into musicals in general. I mean, of course it was dreadful, but like I was very, very into it. And they showed us the movie and and then it all went from there. I saw it at the Hippodrome Theater in Baltimore when it was on tour. It must have been like before 2005. I definitely remember even then being disappointed that the narrator was not as good as the narrator on my recording. Yeah, Ben's obsessed with the Canadian, with like the Toronto production, the 1992 Toronto. She's but- technically very wonderful. She's very well supported. And I I tend to project her voice onto the face of the narrator in the movie rendering with Donny Osmond. Well, and yeah, if, if any of you have not seen it, there is in 1999, they recorded a version as a straight to VHS movie. It's everything that is good and bad about this movie. It's very true to the musical. It's certainly worth a watch, even though it's sort of fluffy. Because that's my exposure. Like, I know the music crazy well, but, like, what I have seen is the movie, which normally I'm like, that doesn't count as seeing it. In this case, I'm like, eh, it counts. It kind of counts. It's, there's not much more there. Well, so here's my next question that I want us to think about. This is a children's musical. What makes a, go- a musical a good children's musical as opposed to being a good musical? And does this show do it? So our first song in most contemporary productions is the prologue. Right. So the main character of our musical is not Joseph. The main it's character of our musical obviously is, the narrator. <laughs> is obviously the narrator. She's the most interesting character. She's the most three-dimensional character. She's enigmatic. The only, the only real sort of relationship is her relationship to Joseph. If you play it right, they have an interesting dynamic. Do you think that's true, that, she's the, that she only has a relationship to Joseph? I mean, she, she interacts with other characters, but like... The musical is very destiny heavy, and she is sort of the purveyor of this capital F fate. Like, Joseph sort of sees her and recognizes her for what she is. She also doesn't really encourage or discourage other characters in the way that she supports Joseph. I think that she serves a purpose very much like the chorus in, like, Greek. Like a Greek chorus. Like a Greek chorus, yeah. She's sort of speaking... As though from outside, like she's she's certainly commenting and she like, you know, wags her finger, um, one would say, at a lot of the characters as they, you know, go about their foibles. Yeah, but she's clearly, even when he's being a little jerk on Joseph's side anyway. But so I think the prologue is a beautiful song and it's so stupid. I think it frames it frames it a bit. Right. Because like the story itself is really not. I think that like Bible stories can always sort of be told in a few lines. Uh, this is like obviously a very Jewish understanding of, of Bible stories, but um, I feel like a lot of the interesting stuff is the commentary that's literally written around it. The story of Joseph is like pretty short, right? Like the fact that they could blow such a such a thing up into. I guess Andrew Lloyd Webber sort of frames it as like 
you know, like a bootstrap story, kind of. So I was talking to a Jewish friend about this once, and she said there's a, it's a sort of salvation story that reads to her as very Gentile. I guess, yeah. It's an interesting take, and we will certainly get to certain specific issues with Christian people being like, we understand what the Jews were like, which is a recurring theme in Weber and Rice's career. Can we talk about in the movie the way that it starts? Do you with remember? Ki- with kids filing into an auditorium yes. and the teachers are around and they're about to be the characters in the show. Yes, I lo- and I love that. I love that. And then that transforms into this like educational smorgasbord. You could argue that this show, what this show actually talks about is the power of imagination and engaging with children through theater. But the prologue is just so pretty and like it's like gather around children, often literally. And it leads us right into the bring me my coat, any dream will do. Which is a good one. It's pretty. Any dream will do is beautiful. And it also like out of context, you can sing it. It's a natural transition between the songs because any dream will do. While if you look at the lyrics closely, it makes no sense. But there's some really beautiful Just imagery no content. in there. <laughs> yeah. Like nothing happens in the song. It literally, it, like it's not, in that sense, it's not an opera at all, right? Like there's no plot. Yeah, Joseph, like I wore my coat. Ah. <laughs> and far, far away someone was weeping, but the world was sleeping. Any dream will do. Any dream will do what? <laughs> what will any dream do? I, I mean, I think I think he's saying any dream will do. Like any dream's good enough. Any dream's he's good just enough setting for the what? bar for really the low. Who, for the person who's <laughs> weeping. Cause it's like because there's like I said, like it's a beautiful pop song. There's this beautiful imagery of like being alone when the world is, you know, that he's been there, this coat which represents something to him disappears. And this is the thing that fundamentally gets to me about Tim Rice is he's a, a great pop lyricist and a mediocre musical theater, theater lyricist at best. And yet he's known as this musical theater like lyricist. So prologue and any dream will do are not important, but they're, they're nice. So nothing in this musical is really important. So it's fine that they're there because then we go straight into the actual story, which is right. Literally the third song. There are so many bad lyrics in this show. If you put any individual lyric to the scrutiny that you would put to a piece of musical theater, it'll fall through. For example, (coughs) way, way back many centuries ago, not long after the Bible began, and you're rolling your eyes at me because we're not supposed to think about it, but in musical theater, you are supposed to think about it, and that's why this doesn't work as a musical, and it works as a concept album. I think it's just much more goyish than you think, and like, you're overburdening it with, with truthfulness. I'm thinking specifically of like, Jesus Christ Superstar and Joseph, each song is its own discrete thing and there aren't good transitions between them. Yeah. I don't really care about the story. I'm only listening to Well, music. in Jacob and Sons, we actually get to the story, which we, oh, yeah, might, as, we might as well say, it, for those of you who do not know, uh, Jacob is a biblical patriarch who is living with his dozen sons and Ben will name four them. wives. And well, yeah, well, they just kind of reference wives. I was always confused by Lyric. His sons and his wives used to call him dad because I was like, why would the wives call him dad? But apparently it's like a thing is to be like, hey, dad, like as a mom to do. Um, Anyway, so Jacob's favorite son is Joseph because Joseph is the eldest son from his favorite wife. Yeah. Well, they're just well, he in the musical, he's like Joseph's mother. She was quite my favorite wife. But I mean, it's later implied that the Benjamin's the other favorite, right? Name me all the sons. (sighs) Okay. I have it open. Can I just hum through the, can I hum through the yes, song? Yes, of course. Jacob, Jacob, and says, I think I'm probably going backwards. Um, Zebulun, Gad, Dan, Reuben, 
Damn it. Zebulun got dad, um, Ruben, Naftali, Issachar, Zebulun. Um, Zebulun was the first one that you did. Uh, Ruben was the eldest of, of the, the children, children of Israel. With Simeon and Levi, Naftali, No, I got it, I got it. Naftali and Issachar and Asher. And Dan, Zebulun, and Gad took the total to nine. Jacob, James, and Benjamin, and Judah. So we have a narratorial interlude where we establish that the brothers do not like Joseph because Joseph is their father's favorite. And in fact, Jacob bought his son a coat, a multicolored coat to wear. So the best thing about this song is that with the help of a children's chorus, they name all the colors that Joseph coat was. Also, to be a little bit pedantic, uh, nowhere in the Bible does it say that Joseph got a multicolored coat or even like a striped coat. It's just woven. That's what's interesting about it. Really? Which is good with the line, and when Joseph tried it on, he knew his sheepskin days were gone. Yeah, I always think of condoms at that part, like lambskin condoms. If you, you did pretty well with the brothers. So, it was red, red and yellow and green and brown and scarlet and black and ochre and peach and ruby and olive and violet and fawn and lilac and gold and chocolate and mauve cream and crimson and silver and rose and azure and lemon and russet and gray purple and white and pink and brown pink and, pink orange, and orange, orange and blue and red and yellow and green and brown, brown and, and blue. scarlet that was really impressive <laughs> and there's a really good key change in there and azure and lemon and russet and green yeah and uh, yeah yeah and the last yeah. rendering because they say it like four times like i love this show for what it is but when i sit down to talk about it i have to face the things that annoy me when i'm listening to it alone in my room and belting like i don't have any of these issues oh i mean i guess it's that's really what... it's the, the, the it's a show that operates on a limbic level <laughs> I think that that might be a key differentiator in how you and I digest musicals that I only ever like listen to them in that vein. In the so in the next <laughs> song we get a little bit more about why Joseph's brothers do not like him, which is that he has prophetic dreams. All of them are essentially mean that he's going to be better than all of them someday. He just has like the clothes for the job, right? His astounding clothing took the biscuit. Quite, Quite the, the smoothest, smoothest person, person in, in the, the district. district yeah. Tim Rice has rhymed biscuit with district. So Joseph's brothers are both made nervous by the dream and also they're like, regardless of if these dreams have any meaning, we don't like Joseph. And we go into poor, poor Joseph where the brothers fling him into a pit and decide to leave him to die. They reprise like, poor, poor Joseph locked up in a cell later. Okay, got it. Right, right, right. Oh, right, here's right. where we get some playful racism. Luckily, like, oh, right. like no, no one today in 2016, I think, identifies as an Ishmaelite. Yeah, I mean, you hairy bunch of Ishmaelites, right? Yeah, like, could you although, use a slave, you hairy bunch of Ishmaelites? This one is A, true, and B, not that offensive. Like, I'm basically an Ishmaelite, and I'm, I'm pretty hairy. Listen, they should. They would all be hairy. Everyone That's in this right. musical would be hairy, but apparently Ishmaelites are particularly yeah. hairy. So great lines here are, um, the Ishmaelites galloped off with a slave in tow, off to Egypt where Joseph was not keen to go. It wouldn't be a picnic, he could tell. Da, 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 da. And I don't speak Egyptian very well. So the brothers fake Joseph's death by uh, ripping apart his coat and dipping it in goat blood because there's more goats and stuff. Um, yeah, they just like find a goat and kill it, right? They attack a passing goat. Well, they're out herding sheep. It's what they're doing. Right. So they go back home and they sing one more angel in heaven to tell their break their news to their father. So this is where we get into the specific like genre, genre. stuff yeah. that this musical does where it's like, and this song is like Calypso dance hall. And you're like, right. There's no purpose to any of this other than to be funny. And there's just the kind of thing that 
like short attention span wise will entertain children, even though they right. won't get the sat- satirical aspect well, don't, necessarily. I mean, don't you think that's like an element of of children's education a lot anyway? Like if you think of like Sesame Street, like what is Sesame Street but exactly that? Like let's do like a country, like a hoedown right. song. And it's so like- this song is a hoedown. Also, it's like this is an example in the musical where I think it's being very light and silly that even Tim Rice, I don't, I think was trying to tell a joke when he's saying, um, you know, Joseph, the things that you stood for, like truth and light never die. And he starts reaching and finally he's like, yeah. Joseph, the things that you stood for, like democracy never yeah. die. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, since we're talking about it, where do you think he's being like super self-serious? Close every door. Oh God, what a bad song. Yeah, we'll get to that. Thank you. <laughs> God, uh, so, how, how bad? Yeah. So true. let's, let's cut back to Joseph to find out how he's doing. Also, Jacob's really super sad that Joseph is dead and it's like, oh. So we find out that Joseph is currently the highest ranking slave to Potiphar. Like also silly things like that Potiphar was rich because he owned a large percentage of the Nile, which I was like, (laughs) I don't don't think that's how property worked in ancient Egypt. Potiphar's wife is evil and sleeps around and tries to seduce Joseph, who tells her, I don't believe in free love. Which is funny because it's Donny Osmond saying... (laughs) Anyway, so this was the musical where, like, you know, eight-year-old Gobby was like, Mommy, Daddy, what's free love? I so would, that's a mark against it as a children's musical. God, what would I not? It is funny because it does speak to this is the late <laughs> 60s. I mean, she's sort of assaulting Joseph, which is uncomfortable. And oh, yeah, very much so, right? Like, it's, it's, like, made a big deal of. Stop, I don't believe in free love. And then there's a musical interlude, direct it as you will. And then Potiphar hears a mighty rumpus clattering above him and bursts through the door and sees Joseph and demands to have him rot in jail. I like how Potiphar realizes that like his riches mean nothing if his wife doesn't love him. I just think it's funny to like project like the companionate marriage back into ancient Egypt. Like that's pretty silly. (laughs) (laughs) That is the silliest thing about this musical is it's anachronistic take (laughs) on love in marriages versus uh, capitalist gains for sure. There's no romance in this musical. That's another reason it's a good kids musical oh, yeah. is it's very pre-sexual. And even though kids movies often have like rom- romance in some, you know, like juvenile form, other than this one uncomfortable, really adult interlude, yeah, there's really super nothing. rapey. So poor, poor Joseph locked up in a cell. Things ain't going well. Hey, locked up in a cell. So we get Close Every Door, which I don't think is the worst song in the musical, but Close Every Door has the biggest <laughs> gap between how good people think it is and overuse it and how good it actually is. Um, and it has like dramatic crescendos and it like isn't actually technically challenging. So it's perfect for like musical theater singers. So Joseph sings this sad little song about how sad he is to be in jail, which dramatically works is that we've just had this really intense emotional beat. So in a musical, you'd say this is a good time for a song. Right. But the song is like, it's just like, yeah, we get it. You're sad. Like, I just kind of want to hit him. It, it also like makes all these weird references to like Palestine. So we will get to that in one second. But first, the best part of the song yeah. is the children's chorus. Oh, la, so la, creepy. I'm having nightmares right now. That is OK. Wait, 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 wait. wait. So, so children of Israel are never alone. Right. For I know I shall find my own peace of mind for I have been promised a land of my own. Right. 
and, and it just rings so inauthentic. And also, if you are going to look at it from a biblical context, they've already been given the, like, they're in the land. But, and then it's followed with the audacity for them to use the line, just give me a number instead of my name. Oh, yeah. And you and you said to me that you thought there was a Holocaust reference. I do. Do you? I, I see, do To me, so. that's so, like, I don't know to what degree, like, the imagery that we now associate with the Holocaust had sort of permeated um, England. Which had its own recovery going on. So, so maybe, maybe but it, it just, it seems like too much of a coincidence. Anyway, and the song's not that good, but I still, like, will enjoy it and sing along with it. But it's cool because this song picks up into Go, 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 Joseph. Yeah, which, despite the fact that it's literally a Go, Go song, has way more plot shit going on. Than like the first, the yeah, two songs it's, before because it. it's broken up yeah. <laughs> by okay, a baker and a butler show up and they have dreams and they somehow know that Joseph is a dream interpreter. It's fine, and Joseph, which I feel like is such like a crucial part of the story, which is it, which is given so little like like nowhere else is he interpreting dreams. The, his interpretation of dreams is so central to like what makes Joseph like not a sh- like the shell of a character. And they're downplayed a bit. Like you don't, we don't really talk about them that much in the musical. Uh, so Joseph tells the baker that he's going to be executed, and the butler that he will be released, which is important for the plot, as we will see, because the butler is going to go back to Pharaoh's side. Um, do you almost, have, yeah. do you almost feel like he makes it happen? Rachel has a shtick about this that there is a tradition of Jewish dream interpretation in which. The first interpretation will sort of come to fruition. So it's like you can't go and get a second opinion. And so that dreams don't necessarily have set prophetic meanings until they have come to interpretation, which would actually make by that that tradition, by by that tradition would make Joseph essentially consign the baker to death, which is Oh, though Joseph says, don't rely on all I say I saw. It's just that I have not been wrong before. Right. I mean, he's technically hasn't yet been correct. Isn't it interesting that like there's no real evidence of this? That's one of the things that sort of gives me the impression that like his designation of a meaning is what collapses it into that state. I like using quantum mechanical language. Yeah, it's cool, though. Right. Also in Go, 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 Joseph, when all of a sudden everyone, both characters and non-existent characters, are just rallying to make Joseph feel better in jail, which is really good if you have a good vocalist having Joseph and the narrator sing back and forth. Ahead of your time. Right, right. Ahead of your time. Well, there's a few call and response type uh, interactions between them. Like there's one at the end in the reprise of... um... Anyway, Ben, we're getting to one of your favorite like musical moments of the musical. Um, a pharaoh story yeah it's literally i i it is such an understatement to say that it is one of my favorite moments it is far and away my favorite moment it is like a content-free song essentially it is beautiful and it is like a perfect opportunity for the narrator in uh, my preferred rendering of joseph in the amazing technicolor dream code to showcase her vocal abilities it's just pretty i mean what we're learning is that pharaoh is very important you right. have to do whatever he says, and, and he's been having right dreams wing. he can't understand. <laughs> so Pharaoh is like the Donald Trump of back then. In fact, you might say he was fairly right wing, right. which is another funny, cute line, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is which feels to me like a line you write for grownups who are going to see a piece of children's media. Yeah, I think that that song is sort of like it feels almost like a prologue to the second act, right? It does. Is yeah. it usually performed in two acts or is it generally performed so, straight like, through? So, Wikipedia puts Go, 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 Joseph as finale act one. Right, which, which, which is makes really sense how it me. feels. Yeah. 
So this song, no, this song is super great, and we don't care about the Pharaoh, and he's really not all that important except as a plot device to elevate Joseph, because right. this is about Joseph's trajectory. And this telling of it. But once again, like, the language here is so sort of, like, dreamy, I mean, for lack of a better word, and and playful. Strange as it seems, there's been a run of crazy dreams. Oh, yeah, it makes I, it I seem very it. apocalyptic, right? Like, oh, I wasn't even thinking apocalyptic. Or not, like, apocalyptic thinking, of, like, portentous. I was thinking in terms of relating back to Act 1, sort of, if you think it, want it, dream it, then it's real, you are what you feel. Oh, All yeah. of this sort of, like, vague sort of, hey, kid, do you ever feel really strong feelings that you don't really know how to express or fully understand because you're eight? So, yeah. so I'm I'm always hooked at this part. And so we learn that there's like great key changes. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I think what we really all have to recognize is that all of the songs that are pretty from Andrew Lloyd Webber are probably four chord songs. And I don't like I don't know enough music theory to actually assess whether don't. that's whether that's the case. But if ever you have a musician on here, I would guess that I, there's I do know that Andrew Lloyd Webber also tends to recycle his own music, but the Pharaoh's butler says, hey, I know a bloke in jail who is hot on dreams. Right, which I think is so funny. <laughs> He's really turned on by dreams. All right. <laughs> also, they mention, because um, Ramses sort of rhymes with on your knees, they decide that this king is Ramses. Yeah. Sure. So Joseph is sent before the king. Right. Um, they They have like... You know, sort of backlighting on Pharaoh so you can't see him. And Joseph is like thrown down before him. Also, the first line we get of him, he's singing like through gritted teeth. Right. To like restrain himself. Right. Because we're about to get Song of the King. Right, exactly. And so like like they they set up this really um, sort of over-dramatized Pharaoh. And then as soon as that happens, we find out that Pharaoh is actually an Elvis impersonator. It's a great comedic beat, even (laughs) though we now have to live with it for the next several minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me your problems, mighty one. And then all of a sudden it goes into a full out like Graceland show, whatever. yeah. And you're like, oh. First of all, could this possibly be more analogous to to Herod's song? Which I learned they originally wrote as Try It and See, which was going to be a Eurovision song for England, but it didn't make the cut <laughs> that year. So instead, they just decided to recycle it back into Jesus Christ And they Superstar. were like, Herod can do anything. But I mean, isn't it, it's really the same, right? Like Herod's this like, like ridiculous, like sort of joke celebrity um, trope into a authority figure. Joseph managed to give us his two dreams up at the top of the show right. and and that they have the same meaning in like 30 seconds. And we have this really long song yeah. where Pharaoh is going into a lot of detail and it the dream doesn't matter. It would just feel, I think that if, if Pharaoh... Fat things being eaten by skinny things right. and the skinny things are still skinny. Well, right, right, right. But I think... From the perspective of the integrity of the narrative, if Pharaoh didn't get like a legit full, you know, however many minutes song, it would seem almost like too fleeting to introduce him as an Elvis impersonator. And insofar as his being an Elvis impersonator is important, so is the length of the song. So Joseph says, in, a, in an interlude I really like where he explains the dreams that it Oh, I think it's really pretty. Yeah, it's really nice. But it's just, it's Your the same. will boom, there won't be But fun. it's the same chords as, um, as um, Jacob's sons. Oh, the, and when Joseph tried it on. Yeah, it's the same chords. Yeah. Right. 
No, it's the same song. But it, it's really pretty here, and also that it's a it's a good run of lyrics. I think. Um, oh yeah. I'm skipping it over now because my favorite lyric in the show is in this um, exchange, as is um, in a couple of minutes that I will skip over to Leanne, my least favorite lyric. So they're all crammed right here. But I do like the line also. Pharaoh said, "Well, stone the crows. This Joseph is a clever kid who would have thought that fourteen cows could mean the things he said they did." Oh yeah, it's really. That's good. another great line. Like when Stephen Sondheim does wordplay, it's like intricate and beautiful. And when Tim Rice does it, it's so stupid that it goes all the way around <laughs> to being funny again, which is just as valid, which is just as valid. And so we get some of that here. Of you. If it's doing what it is, it's trying to do. And Pharaoh makes Joseph number two. That's right. Joseph, Which, Joseph, Pharaoh's number, number two. And then the narrator goes, but this would be, could be a happy ending, perfect place to stop the show, which I think is a very children's musical thing to do. Is it to like self-refer? To like check in with how the show is doing. To be like, <laughs> Are you just, bored yet? Yeah, to be like, <laughs> but I'm sure that Jacob and his other sons have crossed your mind. No. I have com- <laughs> yeah. like, every time I see this musical, I have completely forgotten <laughs> yeah. about what's going back on in Canaan by this point, even though I know what's about right. to happen. But I'm sure that Jacob and his other sons have crossed your mind definitely definitely have not crossed my mind and you know what i think it would be better if the show stopped right here because nothing after this is worthwhile the only thing i would find is the very end is jacob and joseph's reunion and the reprise of any dream will right right. so the the rest of us is uh, and the mega (laughs) oh we will get to the mega mix um so we get those Canaan Days, which is the worst song in the show. It's sort of this fake, like, sad French cabaret number, but it's boring. Oh, God, it's so boring. And it's and like, everyone does stupid French accents. and It's just like, first of all, I, I feel like the, the conception of this being, like, a, a genre musical, but not like a genre musical in that it, like, is of a genre, but a genre musical in that it samples... Um, from a variety of genres. I, I think that like its identity as that is such like a half-assed afterthought. It's like, oh, third song. Oh, let's make it a country song. And then right. after that, like the rest of them are like that. So this song does say, oh, by the way, we miss Joseph and his dreams, which is like, all right. But if let's pretend that this song is not in there at all, we literally don't need song. Listen, and we get everything else. How had famine hit the family? Joseph left behind. Skip the song. Back in Cain, yeah. in the future looked rough. Joseph's family was finding it tough. For the famine has caught us unprepared. We, we are, are thin, thin. We, we are, are ill. We, we are, are getting scared. And then they say we're going to go to Egypt. So, like, we did not need those Canaan days. So the brothers get to Egypt and yeah. they beg Joseph, who is in charge of of giving out food supplies. He's like the minister of like the of like the British version of the FDA. Not the FDA. Yeah. Well, I do also like the line, the first recorded rationing in history was a hit. And none of the brothers recognized Joseph. Which is and, such an absurd, such an absurd idea. I mean, he was, he is 17 years old uh, by like most accounts when he gets sent away from home. Right. So like, And the, now, like, and it's been like, like 20 look. years. Plus he was like, he's, an Egyptian, ostensibly, in, in presentation and oh, speech. Yeah. Um, so I, Joseph does get the great line, I shall now take them all for a ride. After all, they have tried fratricide. So we get gravel, gravel. Joseph decides to make them really gravel to get food, and they do. Yeah, it's sort of weird, right? Like, I mean, but but can you blame him? I, I don't... Like, I, like, <laughs> like at, a certain, at a certain point, what Joseph does here, you can sort of question his methods... I mean, the last time he saw them, they were mocking him, throwing him in a pit and selling him to Ishmaelites. Like enough time has passed and he's clearly forgiven them. But he's like, 
I just need to get this little bit of of minor revenge like out of my system, which isn't to say that what he doesn't what he does to them isn't really harsh, but compared to what he could do to them and now what he has the power to do is he sort of says I'll emotionally screw with them and make them like sort of worship me and then be terrified of me and then we'll sort of back beyond an even keel and there's some really interesting things about forgiveness um in this musical it's, yeah, it's like for like, for a kid it's sort of just like casually traumatizing yeah him. i mean our last episode was my fair lady and we talked about how eliza doolittle fantasizes about literally decapitating henry higgins and all the ways she wants him to die joseph uh sneaks a golden cup into benjamin's sack and <laughs> and i love that line and joseph says oh one of you has stolen my cup and we get who's the thief which isn't particularly interesting. There, it's very intense. Is it like a real song? Like, like, like I who's feel a thief, like who's a thief? Who's a thief? Who's a thief? But how long does that actually last? It feels like it's very brief and very unpleasant. It is very brief and very unpleasant. It's another thing that feels very children's musical. Does it's just it? like it's it's like we're trying to wring this moment of high drama out of something we already know. Joseph says that Benjamin should be locked up and have the key thrown away. And the brothers say, um, show him some mercy, O mighty one, please. He would not do this. He must have been framed, jealous and beat us. We should be blamed. This is a moment where we get this and then a song and then this again. And if we just got this line, it would be enough for Joseph to say, okay, I forgive my brothers. They're changed men. Instead, we get Benjamin Calypso. We get Benjamin Calypso, which in the movie (laughs) is like the one dark skinned person in the musical is judah and he's and like i don't know what's in the official libretto but in the version of lyrics i pulled up from the internet it's like the letter d instead of th every time like it's like this exaggerated (laughs) it's it's so racist and uncomfortable yeah i know and it's horrible but like it's also like a very legitimate way to spell Jamaican English. I, also, I always interpret it as a This show has piece. had literally tens of thousands amateur productions. Picture yeah. how many of them have very the easily kid. have or or in where there is no black kid that is just sort of setting itself up for failure. I suppose I, I mean I, the song the song is absolutely dreadful, but I do think that there is like a very um a very well identified um genre of calypso music that, that you can sort of adopt without necessarily racializing it. I if this think song it, were better, I'd be quicker to defend it. It is definitely weird that they like chose the one black brother, um, one of the brothers, for those of you who haven't seen this gem. There is one of the actors that is black, um, and he as is the one that gets tapped to uh, do Which is interesting because in most, in most productions of this musical, apparently it's supposed to be Naftali singing lead on this. Which but which brother biblically actually volunteered? So I think wasn't it Simeon who was like I thought it was Reuben. I thought it's the oldest one. No, no, no. Um, Reuben was the one who said let's sell him instead of killing him. Yeah. So it was Simeon um, that the brothers actually go home in the in the Bible and then come back to right. like check in with their father about it, and they leave Simeon there as a hostage. We get Joseph all the time because this is you know short interludes technically get 
song titles where Joseph goes, all right, like, this is okay. And he goes, hey, it's me, it's Joseph. And they go, yay, it's Joseph. And in the movie, which I keep talking about, even though I shouldn't, the children, like, run on stage to, like, celebrate and dance with everyone. And it's so charming. To what degree would you say that the movie has um, influenced production decisions in the intervening 30 years? I'm sure it has. What year was the movie made? 99. Okay, so not 30 years. I'm not that old. This musical is really just Jesus Christ Superstar for kids. Right. Oh, but Jesus Christ Superstar is so good. And it's better. Certainly better. So we get technical. So once again, Jacob in Egypt, which is supposed to be a song, is one line that Jacob um, comes to Egypt and he and Joseph reunite. Right. And Joseph sings to him and to the narrator and to us, whatever any dream will do. And it leads into the the reprise and it leads into this big finale. And I love this song so much that I do not mind hearing it exactly the same way twice. When they reprise any dream will do, but as a duet. Yeah. It's certainly better. See, that's my thing where I'm like, there's some kind of like relationship between the narrator and Joseph and that and that and that they feel like they've been through a thing together. Yeah. I and do, they're sort yes. and it's sort of a goodbye for them too, is that you can sort of see Joseph realize that his story is coming to its natural end, not in any sort of fatalistic way, but just and the narrator is sort of like, I'm out. And that they sort of have this moment where they're like, oh, look at what we just shared together and with all of you. And then, like, you know, the children's chorus is there or whatever. Anyway, so, like, I'm projecting my childhood imagination inspired by this musical back onto the musical, which I think is legitimate because if we're going to pretend the musical has a real point to it, that would be it. (laughs) Any any dream will do then. (laughs) So you'd think the musical is over. But it's not. We have the Joseph Megamix. Yeah. Uh, the Joseph Megamix is amazing. It's sort of like the Grease Megamix, except people sing it on stage rather than like just have a DJ do it. Or it's like, let's sing through all of these songs in the show that you liked as like a sort of rock and disco type of thing. Yeah. And it's sort of built in as like a bows, right? Like it's like a way to get yeah. the entire ensemble cast back on. Like, I think that's That's fair. like the bow music. And that is the end of the show. On this podcast, we like to just briefly touch on Tonys because sure. we're uh, at the end of the day, we're just mainstream. But um, <laughs> this show was nominated for six Tonys and got zero when it came to Broadway <laughs> in 1982. Man, it didn't even get any drama desks. It was nominated for three. Oh, it was the same year as Pump Boys and Dinettes, Nine, and Dream Girls. So I think. Um, Dream Girls. Power Best musical move. went to nine. Uh, so poor, poor Joseph. No Tonys for you. So do we have a favorite or least favorite lyric? Oh, yeah. I mean, I couldn't really so, think. Like, I can think of. Le- give me a m- So start. Start. What is your least favorite lyric in this show? Okay. So you have your least favorite lyric? Lay it on. I me. think I, I, I really. I mean, I don't know if it's my least favorite lyric individually, um, but I really think. Most of Go 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 Joseph is stupid. The chorus, Go 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 Joseph, you know what they say. Go 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 Joseph, you'll make it. So they like no one yeah, says that. What do that. they say? Yeah, it was like I I I hate that sort of like. It's not even a platitude so much as a like filler a reference to they. Like who the fuck is they? Like no one says that. Okay, it's just trash. What's so yours? My least favorite lyric, um, which I think sort of sums up a lot. So it's Tim Rice trying to be cute and clever. Yeah. Um, it's the Joseph has these fangirls talking about how much they love him now that he's second in command to the king. Yeah. And they go, greatest man since Noah, 
only goes to Shoah. <gasps> You're right. Oh my so goodness. So what it's supposed to do is, hey, Noah, and then like show, and if we change it to Shoah, it's like a cute lyrical thing. And here's the thing, Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber, particularly Tim Rice, considering that minutes ago we had a heavy-handed song about what you think Jewish identity is like that may or may not contain Holocaust references, Shoah is the Hebrew word for Holocaust, and many Jews, when talking about the Holocaust, will refer to it as the Shoah or the Shoah. So literally, you just accidentally made a Holocaust reference while you were trying to do be like cute and Old Testament biblical. And it just strikes me as... It's a, it's offensive, not because obviously they didn't mean anything by it, but that's why it's offensive to me is that's how blind you are to actual Jewish culture and right. the old and the Old Testament as the Torah. Anyway, do you have a favorite lyric? I have a favorite lyric. Um, I really do like um, in the Any Dream Will Do um, reprise when they're speaking to each other. I wore my coat with golden lining bright color shine like I, I like it's just pretty and it's not like it's not like super meaningful but like the whole musical is kind of shit so like you know like how how like what sort of meaning what am does I it really say go- that you talk about your favorite musical that way i would say jesus christ superstar is probably like born itself out over time is my favorite my favorite lyric in this show and this was difficult for me to because i considered going like you did with something that just sort of is pretty and makes you feel something. Yeah. But instead, I kind of went to an example of a wordplay so dumb that you can't help but admire, admire its brilliance. All these things you saw in your pajamas are a long-range forecast for your farmers. And I know it's crossed your mind what it is you have to find, yeah. Yeah, find a man to lead you through through the famine with a flair for economic planning. (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's the, it's the, the top half of that lyric, the pajamas farmers... Rhyme, which if you're British could actually work. Uh, finally, uh, so I think it's safe to say that this is a children's musical, and it is a children's musical in the way it interacts with its audience and its playfulness and pacing. But the flaws you can't write off as flaws of being a children's musical. Some of the lazier writing or at least substantive or borderline racist or boring parts. It's not like, well, it's a kid's musical. It's like, if you're going to be a kid's musical, do better. I think as a kid's musical goes, it's pretty good. And I mean, I've never really done a great deal of like critical thinking about it. But like, I do think that it will probably fare better if viewed through the lens of a children's musical. And certainly... In you know, and, and certainly insofar as the historical context of a text can inform its interpretation, I do think that it's like worth thinking of it that way. I oh, can't. Yeah. I just can't dwell on it too much. Or I just can't consume media like any. Like none of the music I like would pass that test. Even in like the realm of children's media, it's like kind of shitty. You know, like like it's not. It's not particularly substantive, and it, it and it's definitely... something you're hit over the head with as a small Jewish child. Oh yeah, because even though it's such a Christian take on the show, they're like, "Hey, here's like a musical of something we're going to be teaching y'all in school anyway. Enjoy it." Ben, thank you for being on the show. Um, is there anywhere on social media you would care for people to find you? No, I I, I have no social media presence whatsoever. Okay. Sorry. It's all right, Joseph.
little talk a little. You can follow us on Twitter at Paltal Podcast, as in P-A-L-T-A-L. Email us at paltalpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. Pick a little, talk a little. We are produced and edited by the incomparable Rachel Jacobs. You can find her at rachel-jacobs.com or on Twitter at WTFRJK. I've been your host, Gabrielle Gazelowitz. I'm at gabriellegazelowitz.com, which is spelled in a way that you probably wouldn't guess. And I'm on Twitter at Gabby Gazelowitz. So see if you can find me. So until next time, and as they say in Anything Goes, goodbye, little dream. Goodbye. Pajamas, farmers. That was a great British accent. Thank you. That's actually the rule of this podcast is we have to do a really terrible accent every show. Is that true? Um, Not as a hard and fast rule, but if you were to look back over each episode, over 50% of the time this ends up happening. Those canon tears. Eh bien, tip your belly.